I want to read from Luke chapter 2, these uh, familiar verses, verses 1 through 20 this morning. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had, what, they, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told, which were just as they had been told. I don't know about you, but uh, we've been told the story of Christmas time and time and time again. And we don't often think about the fact that these shepherds had also been told the story of the Messiah, but they did not know that it was Jesus. They did not know that he would be the child that was coming, but, but they had been told this story. And what they had been told were, were from the prophets of the Old Testament, at the, of what we know now as the Old Testament. And what you have to realize is that these shepherds who were out in the fields, they had heard these stories not just a few times, not just over the course of a couple years, but for generations, the story of a coming Messiah had been told. And at this point in history, it's been about 400 years since the last prophet gave a word, which means it had been about 400 years since God spoke. Because at this time, God spoke first through his judges and then through his prophets. And so for 400 years, people heard the story. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you heard that something was going to happen, but then there was a long period of time between when it actually happened and when you heard about it. But in that span of time, a lot of things can creep in to your mind about whether or not that story is actually going to come true, whether or not that story is actually going to happen. And this would have been what these shepherds were told. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, the prophet Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Unto us a son is given. A son is 
given. See, God gave Jesus as a gift. God gave Jesus as a gift. God has the heart of a giver. God has a heart of generosity. He has the heart of a giver. That is one of the reasons that as a church, we want to be a generous church. We want to be a church that is known for our giving because our giving, our generosity reflects the heart of the Father. Our giving and our generosity reflects the generosity of our Heavenly Father. And I just want to kind of mention here that that's why in this season we do what we call the legacy offering, this one time where we can kind of be generous above and beyond. We did that last week, and I want you guys to know that just from this group of people in this room, we've already received over $10,000 towards the legacy offering this year. And we want to be known as a generous church because God is a generous God, and he is a giver of good gifts. And this time of year really brings out the gift givers because it's kind of required that everybody gives gifts. But how many of you know that there are some people that are better at giving gifts than other people? How many of you know a good gift giver? How many of you know a really good, how many of you are a good gift giver? You would say, I am a good gift giver. Garrett's got his hand up in the back. Garrett is a good gift giver. Garrett is a good gift giver. He knows how to give good gifts. There is like an art to good gift giving. Now, how many of you this morning, uh, how many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? You're done with your Christmas shopping. You guys are like timid about it. Be proud. Good for you. Raise your hands. Congratulations. How many of you still have some things? How many of you still, has anybody not started their Christmas shopping? One person. You're in trouble, buddy. You're in trouble. You're in big trouble. I love a good gift giver. Growing up, my mom has always been a good gift giver. My mom is one of those people that like, whatever the gift is in is also a gift. Like it's not just in a box, like it's in something that is also a gift. She just uh, gave our girls uh, tickets to Disney for, for Christmas. And, and so I thought it would be an envelope. I thought she was gonna give them an envelope. And she was like, I need a few minutes to set up. And I was like, to set up? She's like, yeah, I need the kids to leave the house. I need a few minutes to set up. And she had these like towers where it was like three packages. And when you assembled the packages, it looked like Mickey Mouse. The packages looked like Mickey Mouse like assembled. And so they like worked their way down from like little like clues of what they were getting. And then the bottom thing was the tickets to Disney. She's a great gift giver. My uncle growing up was always a great gift giver. He was one of those gift givers that uh, he, he wasn't a consistent gift giver, but he was a very calculated gift giver. And so like three or four birthdays might pass and you'd be like, I don't know if he remembers that it's my birthday. And then like some random day in July, you would get like the best gift that you could possibly think of. Because what he does is when he sees something that he's like, oh, that, that really reminds me of this person. He gets that gift. It doesn't matter when it is. He just is a good gift giver. My daughter, Sophia, is only nine years old. She just turned nine. She's a great gift giver. We uh, drew names for the girls, drew names last year to, between either their sister or their mom or dad, like who they bought for. And she drew my name, and she literally immediately goes, I know exactly what I'm going to get, Dad. We were like, all right, great. And she, and she whispered it to Kristen. And Christmas Day, I can, still, I can still see the look on her face. She brought out this giant box and just had the best look on her face. And inside was this like extremely soft blanket that she has one kind of like it. And I would always steal it because I liked it. And so she would always come out at night and be like, I'm ready to go to bed. I need my blanket. And I would be wrapped up in it. 
And so she got me kind of a more, got, hers has like uh, pink ponies on it. She got me kind of a more masculine version of that blanket. And so uh, she, she was all excited about it. And this was like a gift that I would have never thought of, but she thought of it because she's a good gift giver. And when we're driving with Sophia, it never fails. If we see like someone on the side of the road holding a sign that's homeless, needs help, whatever, she's like, what do we have that we can give them? What do we have that we can give them? And she'll literally, we've been at like stoplights before where I'm like, we, lit, we have nothing in the car. And she'll literally like pass out like a half eaten bag of chips that she's working on because she just wants to give. And so she's always asking me when we see people, she's like, what, do you have any cash? And I never have cash. And so I've tried to be more intentional about having cash. But one day, a couple months ago, we went by the bank because we were buying something off of Facebook Marketplace, which my wife is like a genius at. And she finds anything we need, she can find it on Facebook Marketplace. And then anything we don't need, she can also find on Facebook Marketplace. And um, so I'm always like going to the ATM, grabbing cash to meet people in parking lots to exchange, you know, for like a woven basket that's going to hang on the wall. And, um, but I love it. I do love it. And um, so I, we're, we're pulling out of the ATM and I got like a couple hundred dollars to pay for this thing that we were gonna get or whatever. We're literally pulling out of the ATM. She always asks me, do you have cash? I never have cash. We're pulling out. Sophia's in the back seat. It's just me and her. We, the last thing we did was get, you know, a couple hundred dollars in 20s and we pull out. And there's a guy standing there with a sign and she says, dad, do you have any cash? And I look back and she's just staring in the rearview mirror like, I know you have cash. And I'm like, yeah, I have these 20s. And she was like, are 20s too much to give? I'm like, not now. Not now they're not. Uh, so we, we gave the guy a couple 20s. But she's always a consistently good gift giver. And this is what we need to remember this time of year is, is that God is a great gift giver. Because he doesn't just give you what you want. He gives you what you need. That God more than anyone knows what you need, and that is what he gives you. And I think often we don't really think of Jesus as a gift. Like it might even seem kind of weird to think about Jesus as a gift, as something that is given to us. And yet all throughout the prophecies, they talk about that a son will be given. In fact, Jesus is referred to as a gift over 40 times in the New Testament. Multiple times, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, for example, he ends what he's saying by saying, thanks be to God for his incredible gift. And he's talking about Jesus. See, we have to remember that Christmas is a season of giving because it began with a gift. The whole season was initiated by God giving us a gift, probably the most famous verse that everybody, who, whether they're a follower of Christ, knows is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, that, that God is a gift giver. And the thing that we need to remember about giving a gift is that when we give a gift, a gift has an intended recipient. Like, like we have three girls and we don't just wrap a bunch of things and put them under the tree and hope for the best. We don't just wrap a bunch of things and say, well, whoever gets whatever is fine. No, we, we buy specific gifts for specific kids and then we put a tag on that gift and we say who it is for. And I love that the prophet Isaiah says that it's unto us that a child has been given. That all of God's love, all, all, all of his love that he gave in the gift of Jesus was intended for you to receive as a gift. 
that you are the intended recipient. See, the problem is that often we want to be in a relationship with Jesus so that we can get the gifts from him that we want. We want to be in a relationship with Jesus so we can get the gifts that we want, but it's not about getting the gifts that we want. It's about receiving the gift that we need. And the gift that we need is Jesus. The gift that we need is Jesus. See, it's interesting that Isaiah didn't go on to tell us what Jesus could do. He didn't tell us what Jesus could do. And it might have been helpful if he had. Because if you think about it, it's kind of weird that he begins for people who are waiting for a Messiah, who are waiting for a Savior. He says, unto us a child is given. A child is given. Now, I love children. We have children. But children are not known for their massive contributions. Children are not known for what they can do for you. Children are often known for what you need to do for them. Children are often known for the resources you need to spend on them. And so because he led with the fact that a child was coming, it might have been good for him to tell us a little more because it takes a while to even know what a child is going to be good at. So it might have been helpful for him to say, unto us a child is given, and don't worry. I know he's a child right now, but when he grows up, he's going to be able to perform miracles. When he grows up, he's going to be able to walk on water. When he grows up, he's going to be able to do all of these amazing things for you. So just bear with the child phase. Bear with the child phase. But no, he didn't tell us what he could do. He told us who he is because he is the gift. What he can do for us is not the gift. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the ultimate gift. So Isaiah doesn't say what he can do. He says who he is. He says, a child will be born unto you, and this is who he is. He is a wonderful counselor, a wonderful counselor. And some of you probably hear that, and you're like, great, because I need myself a wonderful counselor in this season of life. Like, I need someone who I can sit back with and get some counsel. But the words here in this verse, when it says wonderful counselor, it's not talking about a counselor, like someone you sit with and you tell them all your problems and then they give you direction. This word's wonderful counselor actually implied the source of wisdom, that, that Jesus is the source of wisdom. See, in ancient times, they believed that there was some sort of source of wisdom that was holding everything together. And there were different theories about what that might be. And the prophet Isaiah is saying that source of wisdom that holds everything together, that source of wisdom that informs everything in your life, that is Jesus. That is who he is. He's the wonderful counselor. The only problem is that most of the time, the gift we want from God is not wisdom. The gift we want from God is permission. We don't want God's wisdom. We want his permission. And so we don't go to God asking for his wisdom, which is who he is, which is what he's made available for him. We go to God and we present what we think should happen. And then we ask God's permission to move forward with that instead of submitting our lives to his wisdom as the wonderful counselor. Have you ever been in a situation where, where the wise choice and your preferred choice did not line up? Right. And, and if you really examined the situation, you probably knew that the wise choice and your preferred choice didn't really line up. Uh, a lot of guys and, and ladies on our launch team have heard this story, but uh, about three or four years ago, I was, uh, I was putting Christmas lights up on my house, and um, it was a pretty steep roof, and it was a pretty like, high peak to get to, and I only had an eight-foot ladder, and our neighbor who lived behind us had told me that anytime I needed an extension ladder, I could go and I could borrow his ladder, 
And, and so I was about to put the Christmas lights up, and my wife, the voice of wisdom in this story, she said, are you going to go get our neighbor's ladder? And I said, no, I think I can do it with our ladder. She's like, I think you should go get the neighbor's ladder. I said, no, I think I can do it with our ladder. And our ladder didn't reach the peak of the house, but I leaned it up against a tree that was pretty close to the peak of our house. And I climbed up that, I climbed up that ladder, and then I kind of like Spider-Man, like kind of leapt over onto our roof. And, and I got up there, everything was fine. I put the lights up, I did all the lights, it was great. And we had that day, uh, we had had someone that was coming to inspect our chimney. We had just moved into a house, they said, you need to get this chimney inspected before you have a fire in it. So we had someone coming to inspect our chimney. And so I'm up on the roof and I see the van pull up. I'm like, oh, I gotta get down to greet this guy. And, and so I start to get down, I realize that getting down on a ladder that's too short is a lot more difficult than getting up. Because I was able to like pull myself up, but I had to kind of like hang and like guess at where the ladder was at and get my foot on it. And my wife's like, do you want me to go to the neighbors and get the ladder? I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm going to be able to, I got up, I'm going to be able to get down. And so I kind of like stretch over and I reach over to get down and I go and I just like, as soon as I release all of my weight, the ladder just kind of falls over and I fall off the side of our roof and I land on like this ledge that was like wrapping around our porch and I'm laying on the ground and I cannot breathe. I cannot breathe. And I'm not kidding you. This is a true story. My wife can vouch for me. The guy that was coming to uh, sweep the chimney, he did not see this happen. I've just fallen off the roof. He didn't see it happen because he gets out of his van and he goes around the back and he's putting on a tuxedo jacket with tails and a top hat, like a traditional chimney sweep. Like he's got this whole bit that he does. And so I'm laying on the ground and I literally, I cannot breathe. I cannot breathe. And I'm upside down. I'm seeing this man putting on a tuxedo jacket and a, a top hat and he comes like bounding up our driveway. And so I'm like holding myself. I come to meet him and he tells us all about the chimney and I'm just in incredible, incredible pain. And, and I, and I waited for about a week before I went to see the doctor to find out if I had hurt anything. And the doctor comes in and he says, uh, it looks like you've broken a rib. And I said, which rib? And he looked at the chart and he said, oh, it looks like you've broken four ribs. And uh, Dr. Adriano is here this morning. That was you, sir. That was you. And, uh, and I had broken four ribs and I was just in so much pain for months. I was in so much pain. And I knew all along that the choice I was making did not line up with the wise choice. But I thought I could do it anyway. Like I thought I could make it work anyway. And have you ever been in a situation where you knew the path you were walking down wasn't the best path, but you really thought you could handle it? You really thought that, you really thought, like you knew that it probably is, wouldn't work out, but for you this time it was gonna work out. It was gonna be just fine. Like I could have gone and gotten the ladder. It would have been very easy for me to just go and get the ladder. But I chose to go my own way and I ended up broken. And a lot of times when we end up our going our own way, we end up broken. And then we're mad at God because we're broken. When at the very beginning, God was saying, hey, you could just go get the ladder from next door. Like, I've already given you the wisdom that you need for this circumstance. I've already given you the wisdom that you need to walk through this. It's not that my wisdom made you broken. It's that you didn't choose to follow my wisdom. But when you receive the gift of Jesus, you also receive his wisdom for your life. You receive his wisdom for every circumstance that you walk through. See, when you receive a gift, you receive the entire gift. And so that's why it's so important that Isaiah is saying, listen, this is who Jesus is. This is what the gift is. This is what you're receiving. I'm telling you what the gift is. And he's a wonderful counselor. He's the source of wisdom. And he is the mighty God. See, I think sometimes we need to just remember, especially in this season, that Jesus has all the strength we need. That Jesus has all the strength we need. 
you might not have the strength that you need, but Jesus has the strength that we need for every single circumstance. See, I love that the Bible says that in our weakness, he is strong. But, but I think sometimes we get confused that that means we have to be weak for him to be strong. But he is always strong. So in your weakness, he is strong. But that doesn't mean when you are strong, you need to just forge forward in your own strength. That means that when you are strong, you have access to even more strength. That, that he is strong alongside of you. And that he has all of the strength you need for every situation that you could walk through. See, I think sometimes we don't realize that as followers of Jesus, when we say or we act as though we don't have the strength to face whatever situation we're in, what we're really doing is we're denying the gift of Jesus that we were giving. We're not, we're not just denying our circumstances. We're denying the gift of Jesus because the gift of Jesus is a mighty God who has all of the strength we need for every decision that we could walk through. And when we receive that gift, we have that strength. When we receive that gift, we have access to that strength. He's a mighty God and he's the everlasting father. He's the everlasting father. Now, for some of you, that might sound like a nightmare, like, like for some of you, the idea of an everlasting father might sound like a nightmare. Maybe you don't know who your father is. Maybe you don't want to know who your father is. Maybe you know who your father is and you wish you didn't. So some of you have had father situations that would make you think of an everlasting father as the worst possible scenario. But see, what God is saying when he says that Jesus is your everlasting father is that your biological identity might stem from a father who was disappointing at best and damaging at worst, but your true identity is rooted in the gift of Jesus, your everlasting father, in the gift of Jesus that will outlast whatever example of fatherhood you had in this life that he is your everlasting father. The gift of Jesus is all of the wisdom, the strength, and the identity that we need. Isaiah is saying that he is our wisdom, he is our strength, and he is our identity. And then he ends by saying that he is the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. Now, I love that he used the term prince of peace because a prince can only set forth his ways in the place where he rules. And I think sometimes what we want is we want the peace of Jesus without the authority of Jesus. But we want the peace, but I don't wanna to have to submit to Jesus. But, but I would love to have just the peace of Jesus. But what Isaiah is saying is that where we submit our lives to Jesus, where we submit our circumstances to Jesus, there we have peace that we have peace in the areas that we allow him to rule, but what we have to actually allow him to rule. See, the reality is that when you receive a gift, that gift has to be opened. It has to be received. You actually have to do something with it. The giving itself is only half of it. We have to receive the gift that we've been given. We have to receive the gift of Jesus that was given at Christmas time. And see, in many ways, Christmas has become all about belief. Like, I have this theory about the movie Home Alone, because anytime you ask people what their favorite Christmas movie is, it's almost always Home Alone. And I think it's because, I heard someone that disagrees, that's fine. I, I think it's because Home Alone is like the only Christmas movie that has an unfamiliar plot to every other Christmas movie. 
Like, it, it has a unique plot. This kid is left home at Christmas, like, really has very little to do with Santa. Every other Christmas movie basically involves some group of people that did not believe in Santa until they realized all that he had done for them, and then they believed in Santa. And so it's like this whole thing of like, oh, we don't believe, and then now we believe. And I'm always very confused because I'm like, who did you think was doing all the things in between? Like, why is it this one event that made you believe? But it becomes all about belief. And the problem is, so often, is that we make our Christian faith all about belief. Do you believe? Do you not believe? Now, belief is important. But I think we also have to realize that if Jesus is a gift, then Jesus is not just a person to believe, he's a gift to receive. Like, you, you, can, you can believe in who Jesus is, but if you have not received the gift, if you have not opened the gift, if you have not accepted the gift, if you have not submitted your life to the rulership of the gift, then he is not your wonderful counselor. He is not your mighty God. He is not your source of strength and identity, and he is not your peace. It's a lot more than just belief. You have to receive the gift. And see, what we have to remember at Christmas time is that Christmas is our reminder that God has done his part. God has done his part. God has given the gift. The gift has been given. You don't have to ask for the gift. You don't have to beg for the gift. There's not a window of time where the gift is available in this time and then it's not gonna be available. The gift has already been given. God has done his part. The question is, have you received the gift? Have you opened the gift that's been given? Have you received the gift that's been given? See, it's now on us to do our part because God has done his. Would you bow your heads all across this room this morning?